Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital and Chemicals Podcast. My name is and always is Jeff Houghton. This is the only podcast with a focus on digitization in the chemical industry. We are brought to you by Agilis Chemicals, a commerce platform for the chemical industry where you can grow faster with your own digital commerce portal. This is a great episode today. It's a special one. We have two guests. It's one interview, two guests. Does that make sense? All right. So let me do a quick bio for each of them. First up, we have Dr. Ed Amoroso. He's currently Chief Executive Officer at TAG Cyber, a global research and advisory company that supports enterprise cybersecurity teams and commercial security vendors around the world. Ed was the Senior VP and Chief Security Officer at AT&T, and has done a lot of work in higher education, as well as having written six books on the topic. We'll also be hearing from Dan Crane. He's done just about everything in the technology industry for 35 years as an engineer, executive, entrepreneur. He's worked on everything from aircraft and semiconductors to software and data center equipment. He's worked on Wall Street as well as Silicon Valley and has collaborated with customers across numerous industries on five continents. Are you convinced? These guys will be great. This will be a great interview. Please enjoy my conversation with Ed and Dan. Let's start with this. So, uh, Ed, your bio is extensive. You've done a variety of different things. Tell us real quick just about your journey to where you are now. I've been doing security, to your point, uh, for my whole career. I, had, I grew up in a family uh, where my dad was a, one of the first computer scientists ever. Um, so as a little kid, I had a connection to the ARPANET in the, the literally 1970s. So it was sort of preordained that I would get into computing. And very early on, uh, I'd had some good advice that security was going to become a big topic. So, uh, so I, I cheated a little bit by having good advisors who knew what was coming. But it's been a, a, a heck of a run over 40 years. Yeah. And like, I mean, like you're saying, like being there from the, the early days of networks, I suppose, like, and then the growth of the growth of all of it, but then the growth of challenges within that. So kind of generally, why, why is cybersecurity so important? You know, right now, I'm sure people watching know what it feels like to have an unsettling feeling about something. I'll give you an example, like um, fake news and, you know, the kinds of things that you see where information is manipulated, not like in social media. When I ask anyone today, how do you solve that? You basically shrug and say, I really don't know. It's an open question. We don't know. That's exactly how cybersecurity felt in the mid to late 80s, where you said, wow, people are breaking into computers. Why would they do that? And you go, I don't know, because they just, because we used to just trust everyone. And you went, wow, what are we going to do? And it was cr crazily unsettling. The problem is that all these decades later, we have defined the problem and we have a whole industry that addresses the problem, but sadly we haven't solved it. I mean, we'll get into some of that today. That's a great disappointment in my career. It's sort of be like being a cancer researcher for the last 30 or 40 years. There's progress you made, but you'd like to say we did it. Um, and, and in cybersecurity, we haven't. In fact, you could argue that unlike um, you know, some uh, you know, diseases, it's actually gotten worse. So, so this is the problem that we deal with. We've been able to define the, the issue, but despite all of our work, 
I suspect everyone listening here, and, and you know, all, all, um, we'll hear from Dan in a minute. I think we feel less safe. Hmm. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is like it's a constantly moving target, constantly moving industry. It involves staying one step ahead. How do you? How do you? How do you go about doing that? Not easily. Um, you know, I think that there's a, an issue that's emerged in, in the kinds of industries that you know, are using online, um, you know, like this is all about digital and chemicals. So take the, the chemical industry uh, 20, 30 years ago, I'm, I'm guessing that computing was not an important part of this industry. You know, e-commerce was not an important thing nor, nor was um, you know, a lot of computerized control. You know, if you go back far enough now, um, with digital transformation initiatives in this industry and, and similar ones, um, it's absolutely essential. So what I've learned is that the sprawl and complexity that has come with digital transformation, even though you hope that you're simplifying with digital transformation, I think you, a lot of people would argue that maybe things have gotten more complicated. That's part of the problem. Like I think a typical IT team I know that uh, there's probably a lot of people listening today who would list on their tax forms that they do IT. Uh, those groups, in many cases, if they're being honest, would tell you that they don't totally understand how everything works that's in their infrastructure. They don't know all the front ends, back ends, uh, databases, systems, um, devices, um, applications, networks. All of these things are very complicated. They're also collectively what we would refer to as your attack surface. Those are the points of entry for bad guys. So unless you really understand everything, it's very easy to leave something open, to leave a misconfiguration. You've heard the, I'm sure everybody's heard the thing, like the bad guys only need to find one door in. The good guys, the defense have to protect everything, but you can only protect what you understand. Then you can only protect what you have in your inventory and is in your purview. You know it's there. You go merge with a company, you go some third party, you outsource this thing, you bring in a new group, you have some rogue team in the company. They're off doing something you don't know about. Nine times out of 10, when you get hacked, it's something like that, where you find out afterwards, we were doing what? Because you didn't understand. And then, yeah, there's, you can put something there. There's technology that you can do to fix these things. But if you don't know about them, then how do you fix them? So that's been my experience that most of the time, it's not that, gosh, we just don't have the technology that would have worked for that. Most of the time, it's that we've allowed the systems that we're trying to protect to get a little out of hand and to get too complicated. So I've always said, and again, I'm interested to see what, our, um, our listeners think, and, and also Dan, but um, I, I think that the best thing you can do to secure a system or an app or something is A, to simplify it, and B, to understand it thoroughly. And when you do that, you generally have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done. And look, we've got a smorgasbord, a whole buffet table of cybersecurity vendors and technologies you can buy from. The, the sentence that's never been uttered is, well, I wish there were more security vendors. You know, that's not the issue. It's, you know, where do you put them? What do you do? So that, that's that been the learning here. And that's often a surprising finding for people. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying um, you need to simplify and you need to know know the ins and outs of it. And those are specific to different 
industries. So Dan, the question to you then is specifically to the, the chemicals industries, what are some of the challenges within the industry? Um, but I think Ed put it really well where, where you have to really understand your software and your product incredibly well. Uh, so, you know, we, we, do, we do all the, the sort of the first order things that you can do, securing on Google Cloud as an example, two-factor authentication, encryption of data at rest and over the wire, those types of things. Um, but we're extremely conscious of the ways in and out, sort of ingress and egress for customers onto our platforms. Um, you know, we don't, we don't allow anybody to just log on, just create an account and buy what could be a substance or an ingredient that's used for a nefarious purpose, as an example, right? So we keep, you know, records and, and audit trails, and especially in conjunction with our partners who actually make and sell this stuff. Um, and we allow them the ability to um, sort of facilitate a registration of a customer and the determine if that customer um, is going to have the right to purchase some of these ingredients that, you know, in many cases can be used for all sorts of things. Um, so so I, I actually agree with Ed's, Ed's assertion. I mean, a lot of these application stacks have become so complicated over the years. Um, they're so organized, especially in, in commerce, as an example, in digital commerce, they're so organized around generating revenue, as an example, and generating business that they forget about the fact that in certain industries, you don't want anyone to be able to jump on and buy stuff, right? So we're very thoughtful about that because the industry does have a, um, it, is a very, it is a very conscious industry about many levels of security in the digital domain. Um, you know, for many years, you know, I think I mentioned this, for many years, the basic, basic accounting and records and books and financial systems were digitized, like, you know, ERP systems. And this goes back, you know, 25, 30 years. But the next phase to get digitized in the industry um, was more of a high risk attack service to some extent, which was the factories, which are very digitally controlled these days, right? So we're sort of on the third wave of this, which is commerce, which is like transacting the actual materials through the digital domain, right? So as we sort of progress down this path of digital transformation, I think everyone is becoming very sensitive to, you know, what are the attack surfaces? How do we prevent people from getting in and out um, and, you know, what partner vendors can we use in the industry, as an example, to, to sort of mitigate things that they happen to be good at so we don't have to, you know, reproduce that because um, there are plenty of very competent vendors in this space. Um, the cloud vendors, the main cloud vendors are very competent. They're getting much, much better every single day at all sorts of, um, you know, tiny little things, even things as, as mundane as distributed denial of service attacks. They're just getting better at preventing those or at least mitigating them or shutting them down sooner rather than later. So, so most of the partner companies in our cloud infrastructure that we partner with, as an example, um, have some of the strongest sort of security, uh, I don't know, their portfolio, if you will, of products are some of the best in the industry. Uh, so that's sort of at the high level how we think about it. Uh, just that one, one note, I was Ed's customer at one of my Wall Street jobs um, about a decade ago. Um, I, he, he is, in fact, a, a renowned expert in, in the industry uh, because I actually benefited from his wisdom at one point when a company that I was at, which was a fairly well-known Wall Street firm, was attacked. And it was ultimately attacked from the inside, believe it or not. But with Ed and his team, we were actually to deduce that. We were able to deduce that. So just figured I'd, I'd put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, like, it seems like one of the things that comes through in what you're saying, Dan, is that like... Um, 
when you welcome in a partner, you have to know that it's the same quality of cybersecurity, right? Yeah. Sorry, okay. So I muted myself. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Not, well, yeah. That, that's that's a big piece of it. Um, but also, you have you know their tools. You know, in the case of the cloud vendors, as an example, their tools have to be constructed in a way that their partner companies, the application companies that host their applications on these cloud infrastructures, can actually use them. They have to be accessible. They have to be you know reasonably constructed so that way we can use them. And, and if you look back historically, that wasn't the case 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. It was super complex, super um, obscure and obtuse. And to some extent, many of the security products are still obtuse. Um, you know, they're, they're very niche and you really have to really you know, know the secret handshake and have, have the decoder ring, if you will. Um, so we try to stay away from that because we want to make sure our customers are never exposed to something because we couldn't understand it. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, back to your old friend, Ed. So there, what are the, um, generally speaking, you said, you know, it's kind of a, it's an, a moving industry. What are the trends we're seeing right now in cybersecurity? Well, I mean, the macro trend is that the offense is getting a lot better and the defense is having a tougher time. I mean, I totally agree with uh, Dan's point that cloud is getting better. Um, that's a tailwind we have. So if there's any good news, it's that um, teams that may be a little constrained in their ability to protect what they've got, um, we'll see an upgrade if they let Microsoft or Google or Amazon do it, right? You know, it'd be like trying to run your own mobile network and then thinking, you know, maybe Verizon might be able to do this better. You know, it's that kind of a thing that you really can rely on a cloud. You're a gigantic company like Bank of America or something, they know what they're doing there. So there's some companies that can do it themselves, most can't. So that's the good news. But the reality is that the offense is getting better. Here's, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, I'm over at uh, New York University and we'll do uh, hackathons and things like that frequently. These red team, blue team exercises are kind of fun. You get all those students and you put them in like purple t-shirts, they sit in a room and they have a platform where they protect stuff. And then you have an offense that wears red t-shirts and they attack, right? And they bring in all the press and magazines and so on. It's quite fun. Kids love it. So one of the recent ones, nobody noticed this, but I remember thinking how ironic this was. And it's indicative of this trend that I referenced. Here's what it was. Like, yeah, I remember this, this Wired Magazine reporter were wandering around and there's 30 kids in the defense room and she's going around asking them questions. It's just so nice, right? And then she says, oh, where's the um, offense? And I said, well, down the hallway. So we left this room of 30 kids playing defense and we walked down the room and looked in a room and there's like Kevin sitting there. He's the offense. So in cybersecurity, a one on 30 pickup game is about even. Like that gives you some idea of how much easier it is to probe an attack than it is to watch all the doors and gates and entry points, the attack surface for a network. So if you take that math, and then think if a nation state is coming after you on offense, you almost need 30 nation states to stop it. And this gives you an idea why every single day, including this morning, you know, <laughs> like to flip on the Today Show and I said, oh, there's this new Apple problem. It's like every single day there's some new thing, some new hack, some new incident. And we all say, well, why is that? And the reason is because offense is so much easier.
So that, that's a trend that needs to be reversed. An example would be bank robberies. But if we were, if it was 1930 and we were talking about bank robberies and those big cars they drive and the guns and the G-men chasing them, we would say, what a big problem bank robberies are. Now here we're almost hundred years later, we have actually gotten to the point where we don't worry too much about bank robberies. They still happen, but it's easy to call the cops. You have those exploding ink on the money. There's all, there's tech that makes it less attractive to go physically hold up a bank. So we don't worry as much about that. Cyber has to get to that point where it's not zero risk. We have to reverse the trend. We're not we're going the wrong direction now, but and I, I hope it doesn't take a hundred years to get to where we don't, you know, like our grandchildren don't worry so much about cybersecurity. Eventually you get there. It's just a matter of when, and right now the storm clouds are getting thicker, not thinner. So I'm glad we're having the discussion today and anything that can be done to raise awareness on this problem is, is a good thing to do. Yeah, it seems like you have to kind of be a, a prophet telling of doom at, at, this, at this stage. But I also hear, I hear within what you're saying, like that it's not just things are difficult, but also we can get there. So what are steps that the industry's taking or what are steps that like businesses can take? Well, first of all, profit and doom and that stuff. I agree that's bad. And but for example, if um, you know if the weather service and your local responders are telling you that a hurricane is coming, then you need to listen. That those are yeah, bad. yeah. You're not a bad guy for doing it. You're a right, reality guy. Right. I'm just saying that. Um, so the problem is a lot of marketing folks do throw fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and it makes it a little difficult because then it, you take people like Dan and myself who are really just trying to share advice and facts in a very dispassionate way. We're not marketing anything, just trying to help. It gets, I'm glad you brought it up though, because it really does cause a problem because a lot of managers think, ah, it's just a bunch of this and that, you know, trying to sell me some products, but that's not the case. It really is problems. Now, as I said, the, the first thing that you can do is take the time to try to understand your systems. I think that's one. A second is to try and understand the threat. And let's take the chemical industry. Um, there's some threats there, right? Pretty unique. Like it's a little different than say gaming. You know, I think that we can think of a lot of consequences that could happen if, for example, in a commerce transaction, the wrong people got their hands on the wrong type of thing. So the industry needs to have controls to deal with that. It's based on threat. So in addition to understanding your systems, you got to understand your circumstances. So, you know, a power plant is going to have one set of obligations and, you know, a, a high school is going to have a different set of obligations. They're different. The threat is different. So recognizing that this isn't like some monolithic kind of thing where everybody does the same thing. Sometimes you, you're watching a television show and someone will say, oh, here's what everyone needs to do. We all need to do this, 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 this. And I always cringe at that and think, well, that's kind of not right. You know, everyone has a fundamentally different uh, threat. And if you make it too difficult for everyone, then, it, then it's almost like your hand in the cookie jar, you can't pull it out. Some, some organizations, some individuals, can get away with less and some of sectors and companies really have to focus on making sure there's no issues. So there's a, a definitely a difference there. And then the third thing, this is just a personal kind of thing. I believe that part of the problem that we're having say in the US 
is this thing we refer to as a skills gap. And what, what that means is that like in my classes, uh, the graduate classes that I'll teach, I've been doing it for a long time. These are wonderful kids, love my students, they're awesome. But the vast majority of them are H-1B students coming over from India and China. Again, wonderful students. These nice kids, and um, we're, we're, we're lucky and, and grateful to have them. But it's a little odd that you don't see a lot of domestic kind of career paths where a youngster in high school is the valedictorian, the salutarian, the smartest person in the whole school. And we look at her and we say, wow, she's going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Whereas in most countries, they look at her and say, she needs to go into computer science. I mean, if, if you said that, you're the smartest kid ever, you must go into computer science. That sounds a little weird to most American moms and dads. I think we need to start changing that. We need to start incenting young people to get back into engineering and tech, not consider that a gearhead thing. The closest thing I can think to that were the early NASA years. When you watch the astronauts going up and we all watched it and you, you thought about it and you dreamt of being an engineer and working at NASA someday. That was exciting. A lot of people wanted that. And, and I think we need to get to that because it is a problem that in, at least in the US, we don't have enough people who understand the technology sufficiently to protect it. So that is, so, to, so I always joke, if you wanna do something to protect say the United States, then help your sixth grader with her math homework. And then that's probably the best thing you can do today to plan for a more secure future. And I, and I don't even mean that as a joke. I mean that helping your sixth grader with her math homework is probably the best thing you can do to, to plan a, a more secure future for, for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like taking this, what we think of as a behind the scenes world of cybersecurity where the layman doesn't know what's going on. And yeah. it's like your task is to bring it to the forefront and say, this is important and it's doable. I imagine a lot of people are watching and nodding and saying, yeah, we need more. We need more engineers. We need more people. Jeff, if you, um, if you just meet a, a garden variety 13 year old, you know, hanging out on TikTok. That youngster probably has a deeper, more thorough, more intimate understanding of technology than I would say any board member in any Fortune 1000 company. So that's important. That suggests that maybe the actuarial tables will help here a little bit because I think young people do understand tech a little better. They can use it better. They understand it better. They're more intimate. They don't speak with a, a, an accent in tech the way we all did because we didn't grow up with it. So that helps, but I, I think nevertheless, we can't just rely on you know, the next few generations to fix it, we've got to do something now. And, and again, I would go to you know, basic education, understanding what your risks are and doing everything you can to encourage more and more people to get into computer science and technical fields, because this is a technical problem. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. <laughs> This may not have pertained to anything, but like I've been on TikTok last year and a half or so. And what you can accomplish, like because of my background, you know, a lot of video stuff, what you can accomplish on TikTok with editing and technology and stuff is what people go to school for for years. So you're right. They've just got it in the palm of their hand and they're so adept at it because they haven't lived, lived without it. So Dan, over to you. So we've talked a lot about the, the challenges. How do you address those? How do you address those at Agilis? 
Just one, one note, I, I actually did what Ed said. I, I have three daughters and all three of them are engineers. So we, we did that, we, we, we showed them how to sort of understand the world that they were living in through math and science. And in our case, it worked out for whatever reason. Um, I'm an engineer too, so, but, but at any rate, you know, it, I mean, I, I think that I, as I spoke about before, you know, with, with the construct of sort of the chemical industry, um, we, what we're trying to do, and this is unique to Agilis, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give tools, not solely focused on cybersecurity, but give tools to the people who produce and sell chemical products and chemical ingredients, the ability to know who they're selling to, the ability to sort of regulate the transaction, which by the way, is the way it's done traditionally in the industry now anyway. Um, it, it is not, because of the, the nature of the industry, is not generally a free-for-all. Um, and, and instead of trying to, uh, I'll say this with air quotes, I apologize, disrupt the chemical industry. We're not trying to do that. Uh, what we're trying to do is provide a set of sort of mature digital tools, commerce tools, to allow the producers and, and sellers of chemical ingredients to sort of automate their processes in a way that gives them more control over who and what they sell and when and for how much, which is a different problem to solve. Um, so what we've done is we've listened very, very closely through our sales process and through the process when we are helping companies sort of implement our software. You know, what are the things that are important to them in terms of understanding who they're selling to, um, what are the exact products they're selling to them? Um, you know, the, what, what are the safety characteristics and how do we make sure that the, the prospect or the customer who buys the, the, the ingredient or the product actually understands those safety characteristics. So we're trying to constantly enhance that um, as opposed to uh, what, you know, there's a handful of other companies in this space and, and where, where they are sort of an open marketplace, if you will. Right, where they're they, almost like eBay, where anybody can jump on, anybody can see anything, anybody can, can try to buy it, anybody can you know, try to acquire it. We're not doing that on purpose um, because we feel that you know, sort of the gates that the industry has you know, smartly, I don't wanna say erected, but that have evolved in the industry over, over you know, hundreds of years of this industry. It's one of the largest on the earth, trillions of dollars of chemical ingredients are sold every year. Um, we want to embellish those. We want to enhance those. We want to give more control and, and more sort of, sort of management control, if you will, to the folks who produce chemicals and sell them. Um, so outside of the normal cyber stuff that we do within the way our software is constructed and our cloud infrastructure, um, from an audit standpoint and, and the ability to know where things are going and who's actually purchasing them and when and a batch number and things like that, and did they actually receive them, um, you know, we're just trying to wrap that whole thing with digital tools that make it uh, easier um, for them to know. Um, and, and this is, you know, it's not unique to the chemical industry. And one, one thing that happened um, in, in the past six, eight months when, when healthcare delivery and the, the provider side of the healthcare system is at, on its knees, as we've all witnessed globally, uh, some 30% of major data breaches, as an example, um, were in hospital systems globally in the past eight months or so. Uh, enormous amounts of ransomware attacks that many people might have, have heard about. You know, so Ed made the point before that it's like one guy down the hall hitting and, and, you know, on the offense side. Um, so what we tried to do at Agilis is we tried to basically make it so that way um, 
it'd be very, very, very hard for somebody on the offense side to come at our customers on our platform. So um, that's, I guess that's how we think about it. When you look at you know, healthcare as an example, it's just got this vast attack surface and it, it is vast. It's money, it's financial records, it's healthcare records, which are you know, protected in almost every nation around the world. Um, you know, but they just didn't see this stuff coming. So on our side, we're trying to be extremely cautious as to who we let in, um, what partner companies we partner with. I mean, I'll give you one very, one, one very peculiar example. Um, in, in, in digital commerce, as an example, one action, and we see this all the time when you get a random email from someone trying to tell you something. Uh, people of nefarious intent have been using these platforms, these direct marketing email companies to send out weird emails trying to trap you into doing things. We're thoughtful about what platform we're partnering with. Are these platforms going to enable some person trying to send a nefarious email to our customer base and to their customers to do something and click on a link? Or are we gonna go with platforms that have much greater sort of controls over that? Um, so we, we're trying to think about it throughout the entire stack um, and be conscious of it. And, and I, I think I said it really well in the beginning, I'm gonna memorialize this, just know your software really well. So, cause as it grows and they become more complex and everybody uses Amazon as an example, you know, when we all started using Amazon in the 90s, it did two things. You bought stuff and maybe you sold stuff. Actually, in the beginning, you just bought stuff. You did really one thing um, and you paid for stuff. You know, now look at all the things you can do on there. You can host a website. You can watch a movie. You can buy music, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so that's, a, that's an example of a, of a software stack and a collection of software functionality. How can anyone know everything going on? Same thing with Google is an example, these, these enormous collections of software functionality. Um, so I, I think that is a wise advice. Just know your product and know the boundaries of it well enough. So that way, mysterious things won't occur that you literally had no idea could occur. It may happen. It happens to everybody at one point in time, but just be thoughtful about it and, and, and just make sure that you're, you, know, you understand what the breadth depth and scope of your software is and how many ways can people get in and how many ways can they get out and who can actually operate it. So we think about this on a constant basis. Yeah. And I imagine from the beginning, I imagine when you're starting, when you're starting this sort of software and this sort of uh, support, you, you have to think about it, particularly in the chemical industry from the beginning. Can you speak to that, how you started out that way and keep growing it? Sure. I, I mean, right from the beginning, Jay, our CTO and founder who, who just has such, a, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the way sort of commerce cycles occur in the industry. Right from the beginning, we recognized what the distribution chain was as an example. Um, and, and instead of trying to disintermediate many, many layers of people in the industry that, that end up sort of safeguarding the supply chain, if you will, like distribution as an example, we adopted them and we, we built our platform to support all the different layers of distribution um, in the industry. There are some companies that make basic ingredients. Then there are other companies that take those, merge them together into what's called a formulated product or a value-added product. And then they sell that as another ingredient. So all up and down sort of the supply chain, and Jay was adamant about this right from the beginning, we need to make sure that we include all of those, those different players at different levels of the hierarchy 
um, to make sure that they have visibility into their transactions, who they sell to, um, and, 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 and can opt to not sell to certain people that they don't understand. So, um, so that's one thing we did right from the beginning, in, in, including, of course, build on sort of enterprise-grade security infrastructure, which we did that anyway in our cloud stuff. Um, but that's an example of, of being conscious of the way the, the world works and the industry manufactures and fulfills product, as opposed to other companies that are trying to quote unquote disrupt the chemical distribution world with these open marketplaces and anybody can jump on and buy stuff and jump off. We just didn't, we just don't think that's the right way to do it. Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, you have me convinced. Um, <laughs> okay, so Ed, back to you. So, you know, we've talked about the challenges and uh, so I'm curious then how might security teams go about, you know, I, everyone's worried as a consumer about their, their privacy. So how might security teams go about customers' privacy? Uh, the, the, the interplay between privacy and security is becoming a big deal. And, you know, you heard um, you know, Dan talk about um, in the context of e-commerce, this idea of enabling, and, and that's the place to start. That cybersecurity is gonna be one of two things. It's either gonna be like the department of no, N-O, where you're just trying to stop stuff. Let's say you're running some factory and you want hackers coming in. Factory is going to run. I don't need to enable anything. I just need to keep bad guys out. Bad guys out. That's one type of cybersecurity. But a second, maybe even more challenging approach, the kind of thing that um, uh, Agilis is, is doing with their customers, is uh, allowing commerce to proceed safely, where the security has to enable your ability to interact with customers. Different kind of problem. But if done well, it's awesome because it allows us to do new things. That's why we buy books on Amazon, right? Because we're comfortable that when I use my credit card, it's fine. That's why you might be doing business with Agilis uh, because you're comfortable that they've got the right schemes and protocols and protections. So that, that, that's, uh, that enablement's important. Now, the, the issue of privacy has become a new one, right? That's where um, in addition to just protecting data, I, I want you, the commerce provider, to keep kind of track of what you're storing about me. Like, what do you have? You, you got my name somewhere and you store my credit card or you store in my address. What do you got? And these new regulations, like the big one came out of the UK, the, the GDPR, this regulation around essentially expressing rights that we all have as buyers and as individuals to go to someone we're doing business with and say, hey, um, I'd like you to tell me where all my data is. And you know, maybe I might like you to delete it or, or something. There's all these you know, rights that uh, are, are claimed. In the US, we tend to have a, a softer approach to privacy in, than say in the UK or in, in, in the EU for sure, but we're moving in that direction too. So security teams, in addition now to having the obligation to keep hackers out, they also have to work with the, their, their IT teams to A, find all that data that you stored <laughs> for customers. You know, like, where is it? You know, is it in this backend, that database? Where, where is it all? Second, am I making sure that it's not being compromised? Is it encrypted? Is it properly protected? Are there access controls around it? And then third, if necessary, could I take some mitigating actions such as, for example, deleting it? If, um, if requested. So, so what seems like a simple thing, 
I'd like, you know, we, you know, you'll, a CEO will say, you know, privacy of our customers is paramount. It's for, foremost and all, you know, the, that, that thing that CEOs say. Now, people like uh, Dan and I cringe because we go, man, that, that's easier said than done. That's not an easy obligation. So privacy has added a whole new dimension to the enablement of e-commerce. And um, it's not that we can't do it. It's just that it is a big obligation and it requires new tools. And in particular, it involves the need to do good, accurate inventory of your data. And that's a good thing. Like the side effect of knowing where your data is, is way beyond just cybersecurity. That's going to reduce your cost. It's going to streamline your operation. It just cleans everything up. It's like cleaning the garage, right? When you clean the garage out, the garage is great, you know? But um, when it's a mess, it's a mess. And, and companies that have messy data architectures have a hell of a time when these privacy regulations, like, like in California, there's a Consumer Protection Act that um, is, that's, a, that's not an easy thing to comply with. So you want to be doing you know, commerce in California at scale. Um, you better get your arms wrapped around your data. So all these are, these are good directions. But they're they're hard, and you have to have a team that knows what they're doing. Um, and uh, from what I can see, it Agilis looks like a good scheme, and and one that um, incorporates the right kinds of controls. So, so that's all good stuff. Um, but buyers need to beware. Definitely talk to your your uh, e-commerce provider and ask them about their privacy requirements. Yeah, that's interesting. I like what you said there. The um, that it's almost like taking all privacy, cybersecurity, taking these things into account creates better quality control on the other end as a result. That's, that's interesting. Okay, so we have about 14 minutes left um, and now it's time for our Q&A and we have some good Q&A questions that have come in. So first to Ed, um, what advice would you give to chemical suppliers to ensure the basic security of their systems? What advice would you give to chemical suppliers to ensure the basic security of their systems? Well, first of all, you have to partition, right? Because a chemical supplier is going to have tangible operational systems. We call them OT, operational technology, where you might be manufacturing, storing, processing, transferring, um, or other, you know, other sort of uh, physical uh, tasks that are done to their product. So that kind of thing needs to be protected carefully. There's a whole industry now around OT security where we make sure that the, um, the way these systems are, are managed are, are not hackable, that you can't get in and cause, for example, uh, you know, a shipment of something to go to the wrong place or to cause a step in the manufacturing or refinement process to go awry or cause some safety constraint to be removed and cause a, a hazard. So OT security is sort of the first obligation that anyone in that industry needs to think through. And I'm sure the person ask, asking the question knows that, that that's important. The second thing, and you know, we, we all know this, is that every business, regardless of their, their, their sector, also has a corresponding IT organization. Like you still have people sitting down at their desk with their computer, doing email, going on websites, interacting, filling out invoices, sending out, but like the normal day-to-day -day IT processing still happens. So in the chemical industry, you have the two issues there of OT protection of your tangible activity 
and then IT protection of normal business transactions. And a lot of times, like the, the, those big pipeline attacks a number of um, months ago, ransomware, came in through the IT uh, infrastructure, you know, it was uh, passwords and, you know, the conventional sorts of things. And then it sort of traversed and caused some supply chain problems and, and the ability, as we all know, for the, the pipeline to operate properly. So the attack could come in through the IT, the OT system. It ain't easy. That's a tough sector. But my advice would be to make sure that you separate your concerns Get the OT stuff right, get the IT stuff right. And in many cases, you're going to be running a gateway. We call it the ITOT gateway that would police any type of traversal between those two domains. That has to be a carefully policed gateway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. We've got about 11 minutes left. To Ed, what advice would you give to individuals as users to ensure that they do not inadvertently trigger a security threat? by doing something they are not supposed to do, e.g. opening a phishing email? Um, yeah, that's a bummer. You know, it's not fair that we've laid so much responsibility on end users. There's always going to be some. Like I'm sitting in my office here, and I think it's reasonable that if I took two metal knives and jammed them in the wall socket, if I get a heck of a jolt, I think that's on me. Like I should know not to do that. So it's not unusual to ask users to kind of be reasonable. There's a few things we would ask you to do. The problem is we ask users to do too much now. So when we say, don't click on this fish, and then we all look at it, and it's really tough to tell whether it's a phishing message, even me, you know, it's too much. It's too much to ask my mother, for example. She's in her 80s, old Italian lady. She, you know, she gets email from my kids and she's online like everybody else. How am I supposed to train her, you know, to be careful about this stuff? She's a very innocent, unsuspecting person and, and, and it's unfair. So the problem here is not with the users, it's with the technology. So we have to get to the point where we can catch up to protect my mom. She should not have this list of things she needs to do before she gets on MarthaStewart.com or sends email to my kids, whatever she's doing. She's doing these benign things. And then we say, mom, this is hazard, this is phishing, make sure you don't click on this. It'd terrify her. And she wouldn't even really know what to do. So I, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the question that, you know, what should I as an individual do? You know, yeah, be careful. Make sure you hover over links. We all know that stuff. But it's when you're rushed, you're, in a, you're busy and you've got a thousand emails and you're clicking on this and click on that. And then something says, hey, your FedEx package uh, didn't come in. Click here and I'll tell you where it is. And you're expecting a FedEx package and you're busy. And it lines up with something you expected. So you click on it and bam, I got you. Because, and you went, oh, wait, oh, I could. And then you, you can't take it back. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they got me. That's not fair to the end user. And I don't care how much training you take. And I don't care how careful you are. We all have that. But Dan has them, Jeff, I bet you have them. When you're busy, you're doing a million things. And it's always something like that dumb FedEx thing. You know, you're expecting it. It seems reasonable. It lines up. You click on it. That The problem is not, in my mind, the patient. It's the medicine. The, the, you can't blame the patient. And blaming users here seems wrong to me. So, yeah, be careful. 
But all of us who do tech, we've got to do a better job protecting people like my mom. It's just not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I say we do it for Ed's mom. So, <laughs> appreciate so, it. Yeah. So we got you should play little spaghetti meatballs if you do it right. Oh, that sounds totally worth it. <laughs> so a few minutes left. Dan, I wanted to come back to you to see if you had any other final thoughts or things you'd like to kind of add to wrap up. Um, I got a couple of just random things. Um, it's funny talking about the, these phishing emails as an example. Like I, I've gotten in the habit now and, I, I've, and, and you know, my wife is always suspicious of everything that comes into her, her email box as an example. And we always should be. Um, you know, mo most corporate systems do a reasonable job of filtering out stuff, but you just never know. You just don't know. So what I stopped doing a couple of years ago is I no longer answer emails on my mobile device. I will not do that. And I'll tell you why. Um, because what happens, because mobile devices are so small, there's not a lot of real estate to display a lot of detail about the sender as an example. So I've gotten in the habit of doing is I'll wait till I get to my computer and I'll look at it there. Now this is, you know, for my kids, this isn't obviously always an ideal situation because they're mobile natives. But what I've learned is that you know, kind of to where Ed was talking about, and, and my mother's had this issue. My mother's actually fallen into a number of phishing scams. And even in the past year uh, where I've had to like change her bank um, information and get her a new bank account number and stuff like that. All right, so I've tried to like tell the people around me, just always look at the domain, look at where the thing comes from. That FedEx or Amazon bill, if it says from Bob's, you know, Soviet era cafe, it doesn't come from Amazon. Well, probably you shouldn't click on that. Um, so I think that I, I think that so there are some basics that people can do. Um, you know, going back to something else earlier in terms of some things that we are at Agilis are doing. Uh, Ed, Ed had mentioned uh, see data privacy. Um, you know, the EU does have sort of the the, the their trailblazing here with the GDPR, General Data Protection Rules. I think that's what it's called, regulations. Um, we're very conscious of that. We're very picky a, about who we choose as what's called a data partner, right? And a data partner is somebody that we would share data with or would share data with us, right? So we're very thoughtful about that. Um, and it's funny when you talk about cybersecurity to most people, their brains go to, you know, maybe they watch 24, the TV show, or they watch some movie where it's always some like valiant hacker in a basement with some you know, genius hacker, click, 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 and they magic, you know, it's, it's magic. Actually, a lot of this stuff, and, and we've talked about a lot of it here, a lot of this is like sort of basic user stuff. Um, you know, so things that we, we do, we do, we do all the core, as a, as a software vendor, we do all the core sort of you know, protection stuff that, that the technology world enables, but we're doing tons of sort of more analog things like I've talked about, like thinking about who we share data with as data partners. Um, think making sure that we know who's logging into our systems, making sure that who our partners, the producers and the distributors and the formulators that sell on our system, you know, that they can figure out who they're selling to and they can decide if they're going to sell to them or not, as opposed to just randomly sell to anybody. Um, so it's, it's sort of the human layer that I think we're, 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 we're really good at um, and we're getting better at it. You know, the technology layer is really hard to do. Um, there have been more than um, more than I can remember companies where you know cyber experts come out of 
defense sectors and intelligence sectors of NATO, of European countries, of the US as an example, of Israel, where they cook up a new widget for that's going to protect people from a cyber attack. And within three months is some enterprising, you know, young kid in, in, in some, you know, random nation around the world gets through that particular device, right? So the technology will protect you a certain amount, but as humans just getting into a lot of these disciplines, and I talked about a lot of this, um, just, you know, allowing our users and our customers to have enough tools to know who they're selling to, why they're selling to them, what they're selling to them, and making conscious choices as to how they're going to do it, and then giving them giving them the tools to know who they sold to and what they sold to whom. Um, so that's sort of my my final thought, if you will, on how we think about it, uh, the human part and the actual work that you do on, on our software, as an example, and on everyone's commerce software, um, is is as important, if not more, than all the, the fancy cyber technology that you can surround it with and sort of clothe it with. Yeah, <clears throat> I like that. That's a that's a great thought to end with. That it's it's both digital answers and it's, it's plain human answers. And yeah. you guys both gave an example. We're gonna do it for your moms. All right, we're gonna wrap up here. Thanks to Ed and Dan for being with us. We'll see you guys. Next time.